Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. It's all about Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know anything. This week, you're going to be reading through the book of John. We are going through the Bible, in case you are joining us today, and we've started in Genesis, and we're taking a book a week, and I'm going to be looking at John 21 in just a moment, but let me give you a little background about John, so as you read this week, you will have that. John's name means Yahweh has been gracious. John was the youngest of the 12 apostles, the son of Zebedee, he was the brother of James. You had James and John, they were called the sons of thunder every now and then. John was a Jew, he was an eyewitness of the events recorded in the Gospel of John. And his emphasis on love is so noticeable that he's been described as the apostle of love or the beloved disciple. Sometimes he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. His name is mentioned 35 times in Scripture, more than twice as many as Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. Now, his purpose is definitely distinctive. He wants to establish the deity of Jesus Christ and to inspire faith in him as the Son of God. In fact, if you'll look at the two verses, the last two verses of chapter 20, Verse 31 says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This most unusual gospel serves as a supplement to the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke we call synoptic because they're very similar and they basically just tell the facts about Jesus. Whereas John not only gives some facts, but he goes much deeper He's concerned not only with the, the real life, with the facts about Jesus, but real life issues as well. The synoptics deal with the events of, of Jesus, while John deals with the meaning of these events. What do they mean? How do they point, the fact that, point to the fact that he is God? Now, John's gospel goes deeper and lays stress on the spiritual. Someone has referred to it as a book in which a child can wade and an elephant can swim. It's an interesting paradox. It's the simplest, most profound book in the New Testament. If somebody tells me they're about to start reading, if I give somebody a Bible and they said, where do you want me to start? I said, you need to start in the book or in the gospel of John because it will point you to Jesus Christ. Now today, I want us to look at the last chapter of John, chapter 21. Jesus has already shown himself to the disciples twice. They don't know when they're going to see him again. He has sent them to Galilee to wait for him. Here's what happens. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. 
Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you. They went out and immediately got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. I can relate to that. (laughs) But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, that's 100 yards, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. Now this is the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about that man, this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. We're going to talk about failure. And I want to get it up front now. If there's anybody in this room who's never failed, I want to see your hand. I want to get a good look at you. (laughs) The failure that we read about here, or or is right after has happened in John 18, is so shocking that we still talk about it 2,000 years later. It's recorded in all of the Gospels. It's that bad. Behind the story, though, lies a wonderful, hope-filled truth. Failure is an event. It's not a destiny. Failure is not final. I've got some good news for you. You're in a house full of failures. 
All of us. Failure doesn't mean you've blown everything. It means you have some hard lessons to learn. It doesn't mean you're a permanent loser. It means you're not as smart as you thought you were. It doesn't mean you should give up. It means you need the Lord to show you the next step. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It means that God has a better plan. And only those of you who have greatly failed in life at some point are really going to appreciate what this includes today. Now, if you're, you know, have failed in some small things, you may not be deeply moved, but if you've really messed up at time in your life, you're thinking, God could never use me again, or I, I, I won't be able to recover from this, I've got some good news for you. You can recover. But let me put it this way, Jesus can help you recover. You know, when we failed, especially those people that we love the most, our mind becomes a swirl of emotions. We have embarrassment, anger, fear, shame, despair. We feel dirty and unworthy because we acted foolishly. And when we have hurt someone deeply, we know if we want to know if they still love us. Peter never forgot when he denied Jesus three times. It's a couple of traditions. We don't have any proof of this. One tradition said that when, uh, whenever Peter heard a rooster crow, he would begin to cry. And then there was another tradition that said when he would wake up every night and pray during the hour in which he denied the Lord. You ever thought about where Peter went after he denied Jesus? The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know where Peter was during the crucifixion. We don't know where he was when they took him off the cross and put him in the tomb. But I have a sneaking suspicion that he did what a lot of us would do, and that is we would go away and isolate ourselves because the last thing we want to do when we failed is to be around anybody, especially those that we love. We've let them down. We don't want to see them. And then the devil comes along and convinces us that nobody ever wants to be around us again and that God could never use you again. You've blown it. You've forfeited the opportunity. I think what happened to Peter that weekend, wherever he went, he must have felt alone. And I'm sure he was sitting out there somewhere going, why did I do that? Why did I stand up for Christ? Why, how could I be so stupid? And the reason we believe that is because we've been there. He probably wondered, I wonder what Jesus thinks about me. I wonder if he still loves me. Well, did you know that we're told in the scripture that Jesus appeared to Peter before he appeared to the other disciples? In fact, when the word got out that Jesus was resurrected, he kept saying, go tell the disciples and Peter. He kept calling him by name. And then Luke 24, 34 says, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 4, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. Now I'm encouraged that he went to Simon. He went to Peter first, which tells me he still loved him. He still wanted him. So as we look at this passage of scripture, I want you to see a series of events that really leads from defeat, from failure, to being used of God again. We begin by saying retreat. Peter said, I'm going fishing. Now, 
Was this recreational fishing? Was this a, was Peter just bored and said, you know, I don't know when I'm going to see Jesus again. I'm going fishing. No, not really, because if you look a little deeper into the Greek language, you're going to find the word going out or hupago means to withdraw, to depart, to go away, to go back. Peter had spent the last three years following Jesus and now Jesus was gone and they didn't know when he would see him again so Jesus wasn't there to follow. So I believe in, in the heart of this statement is Peter said, I'm going back to doing what I know how to do. I know how to fish. I believe he was fishing without a license <laughs> because God didn't tell him to go fishing. The Lord didn't tell him to. But he said, you know, I followed Jesus for three years and I know a lot more about fishing than I know about being a disciple. And from the moment we begin to follow Christ, we encounter moments when we want to go back. Not to be unsaved, but as the Lord begins to change us and conform us to the image of his son when you've committed your life to Jesus, sometimes it gets hard Maybe you said, you know what? I'm going to start having a devotional life and I'm going to set my alarm 15 minutes earlier and I'm going to get up and I'm going to read the Bible and pray for a few minutes before I get dressed and go to work. How long did that last? Before long, you started hitting the snooze button. And then you get up just in time to go to work. Maybe some of you tried, you know what? I believe I'm going to honor the Lord with the first 10% of, of what he's blessed me with. And it's good when all the bills are paid. But you know, this month, the car broke down and the kid got sick and, and, and it's going to be close. And, and there's, a, there's a way, to, you know, we just have a tendency to regress. Not that we're going to be unsaved, but just to go back to the easy route. And besides that, it, it gets hard. There's an interesting story in the Old Testament when Moses delivered the children of Israel, or God delivered them, but Moses led them out of Egypt. They had been in slavery 400 years. And on the road to the promised land, there was no interstate. <laughs> they went through the wilderness. And a bunch of them were Baptists because they complained and complained and complained. In fact, listen to what is said in Numbers 14. If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? You prefer slavery over freedom? Did you know we were slaves to sin and Christ set us free? Romans 6, 17 says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You, might, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. When we're set free, we follow Jesus and we begin to be slaves to righteousness. We want to do right. But folks, I want to tell you, this change in our life is, you know, we're given life in Jesus Christ, but the change that begins to take place, it gets hard and sometimes we just want to go back to fishing. He had more experience as a fisherman than he did a disciple. It's easier to fish. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's easier to sin. But Christ had called Peter out of that trade. He said, Peter, you're not going to be a fisherman. You're going to fish for men, for people. 
The next thing is the next part of the sequence. We see recognition. You see, Jesus is standing on the shore in verses four through seven and he asked the disciples if they had any fish. He already knew they didn't. And they said no and he tells them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat. And although they didn't recognize it at the time that it was Jesus, they cast their nets on the other side of the boat and they brought in so many fish they couldn't get it in the boat. I wish Jesus would go fishing with me. <laughs> Don't you? If there's fishing in heaven, I'm going to I'm already book a tour with Jesus. <laughs> I don't want you to miss the fact that Jesus came seeking them. Amen. Bunch of losers, bunch of failures. I want you to understand something. You may have retreated and you may have isolated yourself but you need to be looking for Jesus coming see you because if you're his child, he's not gonna let you go. And don't miss the fact that Jesus comes in a way that is familiar to us. Think about this. The first time Peter met Jesus, his name was Simon. It's in Luke chapter five. You will find it recorded that, that he had fished all night again and didn't catch anything. You'd think he wouldn't go fishing at night. But he hadn't caught anything, and Jesus says, Cast your net, push the boat out a little deeper, and cast it down in the water again. And this time, they pulled the nets, and the nets were beginning to break. So, what happens here? They fished all night, nothing's caught. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. So many fish, they can't get it in the boat. You see, Jesus came in a familiar way. They were, then they recognized him, and John realized it was Jesus on the shore, and he said to Peter, it's the Lord. You may think that when you failed that God's written you off. He's put you over in the has-been pile. He's put you over here in the discard pile. You need to be looking at the ways that the Lord's coming to you. The Lord may be speaking to you today, telling you, hey, you may have messed up, but it's not final. He came to them. Well, obviously, the next thing you see is return. Peter, never one to wait, dove into the water and swam to shore. Now, the other guys were bringing the boat with the net of fish. They counted the fish, 153 of them. What is significant about 153? Well, nobody knows for certain. But there's some interesting thoughts. Jerome in the fourth century said it represented all the different species of fish in Galilee, in the Sea of Galilee. And that it means that the gospel is for everybody. And then there are those who play with the numbers. Uh, gematria, when you, you put a number on a letter and you add it all up, you know, y'all tried to figure out the Antichrist for years in the, with the English letters, but, but one in particular that was of interest to me and our guide at the, in Israel told us this. There's no proof of this, but it's an interesting thought that when you number the letters in Hebrew and you add up to 153, it the words are Ani Elohim, I am God. And it could very well mean something about this number meant something to John. We don't know what it is. 
We do know it's a miracle. We do know that they're, and it says they're large fish. We do know that. But when the disciples return, Jesus is waiting for them. They, they finally recognize Jesus and they ran to him. And I pray that that's what you do today. When you recognize the Lord's still working in your life, you won't turn and go the other direction. You'll come to him. I want to camp on this next sequence for a moment where we see the restoration of Peter. You know, Jesus is in the life restoration business. He's in the salvage business. Some of you in here thinking, I'm not half as good as some of the other people in this room. That's what you think. That's not true. It's a beautiful thing when the Lord comes to us and he begins to change our life. He begins to restore us. But there's several things that happen in this part of the scripture. The first is a reminder. Now, I don't want you, I don't want you to miss this. Everything about this chapter is deja vu to Peter. Y'all know what that means? Done this before? For example, Jesus doesn't even call him by his new name. In verse 15, he says, Simon, son of John or son of Jonah. Now, Peter, Peter's name came from Jesus. Jesus said, your name is gonna be Petrus. And on this rock, I will build my church. He, 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 he didn't even use his real name. I mean, his new name, he used his old name because that's where Jesus first met him on the shore and called him by Simon. They went back to the very beginning of the start of their relationship. And then in verse six, the amazing miracle of catching the fish. I've already alluded to this. The first time he told Peter to throw his net out in the deeper water and he caught all these fish. And now he's told them to throw it on the other side of the boat. You see the deja vu here? There's something else I thought was interesting. In verse nine, it said, as soon as they came to land, they saw a fire of coals there. Now that word fire of coals or charcoal fire is used only one other place in the New Testament. Guess where it is? John 18, where Peter is gathered with a bunch of people at the trial of Jesus and he's standing around a coal of fire. And so here's this fire to remind Peter of him denying, one of the fires Peter denies the Lord at this charcoal fire, this is where he'll be restored. And then the location, it's in the Sea of Galilee. Think of everything that Peter had seen. He'd seen Jesus feed the 5,000. He was even sent to the Sea of Galilee to, to catch a fish that had a coin in its mouth so that the taxes could be paid. And he saw so many things happen in Galilee. He'd seen Jesus calm a storm that was raging he even tried walking on the water out there. And sometimes, sometimes the Lord takes us back to where we first met him. Can you go back to that time? Can you go back to the time when you first came to Jesus? 
You may not remember all the details. You may not remember everything you said, but can you go to the time when you first asked God to forgive you and you believed in your heart that Jesus died for our sins and God put on him the sin of us all and he died on the cross, was buried, and he rose again? And you placed your faith in Jesus. Can you go back to that time? Well, as Peter is reminded about the past, we now see his regret in verse 17. Now, I want to call your attention to several things beginning in verse 15 through 17. The first question that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? Who are the these? I believe it's the disciples standing there by him. There's six other disciples there. And it probably takes Peter back to the statement that's recorded in Matthew 26, 33, when Simon boasted, even if all the other disciples fall away, I never will. <laughs> and now Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me more than these guys love me? See, the man who'd been so boastful, so sure of himself, so confident in his own courage, he's now thoroughly humbled. This was a subtle reminder of his previous boast. Peter had never been accused of being overly humble. In fact, throughout the gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry, he was frequently brash and quick to blurt out what others thought and he was impulsive and he let his emotions propel him through life. And why did Jesus ask him three times, do you love me? Well, obviously, he denied him three times. Why did he do it in front of the other disciples? Because he had denied Jesus publicly. And Jesus uses a specific word the first two times. You know, we, we use the word love for everything. The English word love is so cheap in so many ways. I mean, you, you love the Red Raiders, you love ice cream, you love your dog, and you love your family all with the same word. And that's, that's not the same. And you love God. Agapao, agape love, is the only kind of love that comes from God. And it means unconditional love. You know, agapao or agape is not, not an emotional love. It's unconditional love. And Jesus asked Peter the first two times, do you love me unconditionally? And Peter couldn't use that word. He used the word phileo. He said, Lord, I, I phileo you, which was a good word to use. It means I'm very fond of you and we are deep friends. He was choosing his words carefully, no more boasting without thinking. And in response, Jesus gives him a commission, tend my lambs. Now consider what Christ did not do. He did not 
make Peter feel guilty. He didn't try to humiliate him publicly. He doesn't ask him, are you sorry for what you did? Are you going to do better? He just asks one question, do you love me? And when Christ asked the question the third time, he uses Peter's word. He says, do you phileo me? Do you really consider me in deep friendship with you? Do you have this closeness that you're talking about? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. Now that's a significant statement because Peter doesn't even know his own heart anymore. He's afraid because he's failed. He's afraid to say, well, Lord, you know that I love you, but on that faithful night in the upper room, he thought he knew himself, but he didn't, and now he's not so sure. He can't even trust his own heart, but basically it's a step forward for him because now he says, but Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. In other words, my trust is in you, Lord, alone. I can't trust myself, but I trust you alone. And that's when the Lord says, you know what? That's what I wanted you to get to. I want you to get where you'll follow me. All of us have failed at some point. We've made promises we didn't keep. And we wonder, well, Lord, how could you still use me if I've messed up so badly. But I believe in my heart that right there on the Sea of Galilee shore that Peter put a stake down. Jesus did, basically, and said, in fact, the next part of this is, is where he re-enlists Peter. Peter, follow me. And you know what, folks? Peter never did deny Jesus again. In fact, you read in the book of Acts, before you know it, just several days later, he's standing in Jerusalem. He's standing there preaching to those people who crucified Jesus, telling them that you've crucified the Son of God, the Messiah. 3,000 people are saved that day. He becomes fearless. Early church tradition tells us, in fact, when Jesus said in verse 18, isn't it interesting, he skips over Peter's life and he said, I'm gonna tell you how you're gonna die. <laughs> That's an interesting thought, isn't it? And early church tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome because he said he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as the Lord. And it's remarkable how he skips over Peter's life and concentrates on how he will die. And basically, you know what? I think Jesus is saying, look, you made a promise that even if these others leave me, you never will. Well, you're actually going to fulfill that in your life. He said, you're going to die for me one day. So you see him come to the place of restoration. And of course, then he, he turns and he sees John standing there and, and he does the Baptist thing. Well, Lord, what about this man? 
And I'm going to paraphrase this in English that West Texas people will understand. The Lord was nice about it, but the Lord basically said, Peter, mind your own business. <laughs> I've got a plan for you and I've got a plan for John. And John's plan is not your plan. So don't worry about John. I'll take care of him. You do what I've asked you to do. And if anyone felt like they had disqualified themselves as the leader of Christians, it would have to be Simon Peter. Who would want an emotional, vacillating troublemaker to lead the people of God? I'll tell you who. Jesus did. Jesus said, I'm not done with you. We can learn a lot about our relationship with God by studying his, his, his life. I mean, look, look at the paradox of, of Peter during a raging storm. He sees Jesus walking on the water and he said, Lord, let me come to you. And Jesus said, come on. And he goes out there and then he takes his eye off of Jesus and he sinks like a Petrus. Peter, rock. Or the time that he tells Jesus, you're the, the, the Christ, the son of the living God. And in the same time frame, he gets rebuked. He defends the, the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane, cuts off the ear of one of the guards, and then the next thing you know, he is denying Jesus. But after the death and resurrection of Jesus and a seaside reunion with the Lord himself, it changed everything because he learned I'm going to follow Jesus. In fact, the last recorded words we have of Jesus to Peter are found in verse 22. You follow me. And folks, today, that's what the Lord's invitation is to you. The same Lord who forgave Peter will forgive you. He, and you think, well, I can't be used. Yes, you can. Let's let this be the sea, the seashore. And you just say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. No matter what you want me to do, I'm going to follow you. The Lord will reenlist you. It's great news. Your failure is not final. I have some bad news. You're going to fail again sometime in your life. I don't know what it's going to be, but the good news is it's not a destiny. It's not final. The Lord will forgive. What does he want you to do? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I pray for those who need Jesus right now. And they may feel like they have done so much wrong that you would never, ever take them or have them. If people are watching online, if they see this on television, I pray that you'd show them how much you love them no matter how far away they have gone. They've never been saved. I pray, God, that you'll show them how much you love them and that you will forgive them and wash them clean and give them a new life. And for those who are your children, who maybe you have called to do something a long time ago and they just messed up everything. Well, Lord, I pray you'll re-enlist them today. 
It may not be to what they were doing before, but you're not done with any of us. You told us to follow you. So I pray that people would turn and follow you. They need a church, Lord, send them here if this is where you want them to be. If they've not been baptized, I pray they'd have the courage to do so. But most of all, I pray you'd lift up people's hearts today to know that no matter how disappointed we are in ourselves, you still love us. You still want us. You can still use us. I pray, God, you'd bring people to you. If you're watching us online, you hit that connect button. Let us know. Somebody will will talk to you right now. Or you can text the phrase living hope with no space, living hope, to this number, 474747. Information will come up and you'll be asked to give some information and let us know the commitment you're making. We'll call you. You can put prayer requests. You can do this in the cards in, in front of you in the chairs. You can put them in the box as you leave by the door. There'll be pastors here at the front to pray with you, to help you. If there's a commitment on your heart, maybe you just need somebody to pray with you or to talk to them about knowing Christ. You know the Lord's here. You know the Lord's drawing you. You know he's come to you. And he's basically saying, I love you. I want you. I'm not giving up on you. Father, I pray you'd bring people to you. That you would give them peace and an assurance of your love for them. After all, Lord, we're all failures. We're all sinners. You just saved us by your grace. Help us to live as grace-filled people to follow you. May people have victory in their life today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.